0: This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. Before I came home to Detroit in 2007, I spent a decade living in Baltimore, the small East Coast city that has the most in common, I think, with Detroit. It's a city with a proud manufacturing history, but it struggled in the wake of deindustrialization with deep poverty and isolation, particularly for African Americans in the inner city. Even for people who've never been there, Baltimore came to symbolize the perpetuation of that underclass through the work of David Simon on television shows like The Corner and The Wire. But now the nation is getting a front-row seat for the non-fictional tensions that exist in Baltimore. Last week, police there arrested 25-year-old Freddie Gray, and later he died of a severe spinal cord injury. No one has been forthcoming about what happened, but the response in the streets has been intense, and it is growing. Peaceful protests have been incited into violent riots, and after a day of destruction on Monday following Gray's funeral, officials are debating whether to bring in the National Guard. There's some interesting wrinkles to Baltimore's troubles. The city's mayor is a black woman and the daughter of a political scion who paved the way for black political leadership in the city. The police is also, the police chief is also African American. Yet still, the anger and resentment in the city's toughest neighborhoods continues to boil over. Is this about race? Is this about class? Is it about both and the interaction between them? We'll spend the hour today talking about Baltimore and other cities where we've seen these responses to brutal police behavior. And we'll wonder together whether Detroit could be next. Call us at 313-577-1019 to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. But first, I want to welcome Professor Lester Spence to Detroit Today. Lester writes and teaches Race and politics at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, but he's from Detroit and he graduated from the University of Michigan. Welcome to Detroit today, Lester. How are you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, let's start. Let's start with you telling me. Uh, what is going on right now in in Baltimore. I know that you live not too far from uh, where I could see on television yesterday uh, some of this stuff was happening. That's also not far from where I used to live in in Baltimore. Uh, It looks like it's intense. It looks like it's growing. Give us sort of the the upfront look at at what's going on.
1: Well, uh, so the Baltimore City schools are closed. Uh, and I take uh, public transportation to work, uh, and a significant portion of the subway, a significant number of the subway stops aren't available, including a uh, Mondawmin Mall, which for Detroit residents would be kind of like a Detroit, like a Baltimore version of Northland. That's but in, in the Mall, middle of the city, right? In the middle of the city. Yeah. yeah. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, Mondawmin was ground zero for the disturbances yesterday and, um... This story isn't really getting out in national media, but it's pretty clear that the police played a role in inciting that uh, that disturbance. it will be interesting to see if they cover that going forward.
0: What 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 did they do?
1: So there so there were three flashpoints at approximately 12:30 yesterday. Um, a letter was distributed suggesting that the Crips, the Bloods, and the Nation of Islam had uh, had. Uh, created an alliance, and the police uh, interpreted that as a as a threat against them. Um, approximately 3 p.m. yesterday, a social media uh, meme was distributed suggesting that school students participate in a purge. And for viewers or for listeners, the uh, the purge was a movie that uh, that depicted a scenario in which. Um, a dystopian scenario in which, like, for a certain period of time, all rules were basically tossed aside. Right. So, so, um, so in response to these two incidents, the police went to Mondawmin Mall in full riot gear. Now, here's the thing. Baltimore City school students need Baltimore City buses to get home. To get because around, sure. They don't have their own bus system. Right. The police prevented kids from getting on the bus to go home. They walled them off from uh, from the from uh, from the bus system that Baltimore that Vindaman has, and then at, after that, the city uh, the kids end up um, engaging in um, in riotous So that's activity. what started it. Yeah, that's what started it. The, yeah. So police, uh, presumably thinking that they were preemptive arguably created the conditions, at least from endowment, and then it just spread from that.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, I said in the open that uh, one of the interesting wrinkles here is the fact that the mayor in Baltimore is Stephanie Rawlings, uh, who I remember from my time there. She was a state legislator, uh, but she's an African-American woman and a daughter of Pete Rawlings, uh, who was one of the most powerful uh, African-American legislators in the history uh, of Maryland. And the police chief there is also... Uh, an African-American, um, uh, we tend to view these, these, these kinds of uh, up, uprisings in, in terms of race a lot. And obviously race is playing a role here. But, but it does seem different here because uh, the people in charge are indeed African-Americans. And Baltimore is a, is a city where there is a significant amount of black political power.
1: Yeah, and um and and this was um basically what I write about, right? I right. mean, so I I had a chapter in my uh in my first book looking at uh Detroit under Kwame and then the the book I'm working on now kind of deals with this. Uh it's really a, a class issue, right? In a couple of different ways. So Stephanie Rawlings Blake um and her speech, she really didn't the speech she gave yesterday, maybe she got 20 words in before she kind of talked about thugs before she talked about thugs looking to ruin the city right and it's important and you know it for those of us who are here in baltimore who are kind of sensitive to the long history of anti-black police violence It's really interesting that she's never ever used that language to to uh, talk about the police certainly we could argue plausibly that the police who killed freddie gray were in fact thugs right, right. I, mean, I mean but there's this tendency of uh, Stephanie Rollins Blake as mayor and a number of other prominent African Americans in the city to make really stark distinctions between themselves. And between the poor, predominantly black working class population, right, and that's definitely that—that's black class politics at work, right.
0: Uh, and you talk when you talk about this underclass in Baltimore. I mean, of course, here in Detroit, people are very familiar uh, with that dynamic uh, in neighborhoods. Another difference, though, in in a place like Baltimore, uh, that I always felt like uh, was was noticeable is the density uh in in these neighborhoods uh here in Detroit we're used to to places uh, being pretty pretty cleaned out uh and 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 very sparsely populated In Baltimore, you have uh, neighborhood after neighborhood uh, where people are trapped in this this sort of underclass existence, and there are a lot of people in those those places.
1: Yeah, they're really, really, they're really thick. So the predominant form of housing, of working class and poor housing in Baltimore is a row house. And a row house is basically a two to sometimes three-story house that's incredibly thin,
0: Right, it can right. be like, can like 15 feet people, wide. Yeah. yeah,
1: you could put two people next to each other, if you, and, and they probably both couldn't extend their arms all the way to the other side, other side of the wall without butting up against it. Right. So you have these places that are densely packed together, uh, and that generates a far different experience, uh, type of poverty experience than what Detroit or most Midwestern cities uh, face.
0: And that and that underclass, as I uh, talked about in the open, you know, depicted very accurately, I thought, by David Simon uh, is really uh, about this sort of hopelessness and this isolation. I mean, these are people who feel uh, they feel left out. They feel like there is no opportunity uh, for them. And something like Freddie Gray uh, being killed by the police becomes a trigger for. Uh, display of that of the, of those feelings and that anger.
1: Yeah, yes. And and here's another way to think about it. It's not like they're just left alone, right? It's uh, that they ev- every encounter they have with government is bad, right? right. So here's some numbers. Um, there have been approximately 110 uh, deaths in police custody since uh, I think of like 2012. Uh, the police have uh, the city's paid out approximately six million dollars in police related lawsuits tw- since 2011. Um, they don't deploy under the um, the African American police uh, chief, who I have to say, um, one of the interesting interviews he had when he first got appointed is he noted that Baltimore had like 1950s era uh, racial politics, uh-huh. right? To give you a sense of what's going on. Sure. But 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 um, the last thing is, while Stephanie Rawlings Blake as mayor didn't implement zero tolerance policies, Mayor O'Malley did, and in his last term. He made seven hundred thousand arrests, and Baltimore only has six hundred thousand people. So, and the bulk of those arrests are made in areas like where Freddie Gray lived. I mean, and then one more point that, 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 sure. that's jumping out: the census tract that Freddie Gray lived in had over spent over forty-seven million dollars in incarcerating its, resi- incarcerating its residents, um, and then yeah one more I've got all these factoids (laughs) and if one more thing Freddie Gray and his family had a lawsuit I think it's pending because Freddie Gray and his uh, and his siblings all suffer from lead poisoning,
0: right? Which is a huge deal in in Baltimore. I, I remember very well uh, the extent of of lead poisoning in particularly East Baltimore. It was, was my memory, but in, in these row houses that uh, you you had uh, lead paint uh, all over the city, and that that the number of kids who were uh, exposed to this is is an incredible incredible number.
1: Yeah, that's it. So, so every so we're so I've gotten into a number of arguments. In fact, with one of my fraternity brothers in Detroit on Facebook, uh, Brandon Lewis. <laughs> if you're listening, it's you. <laughs> shout out. Um, But it, you know, there's this tendency to to blame these kids, right? Like, oh my God, they're destroying their own city. It's like, wait a second. People have been protesting anti police violence. They've been protesting community uh, community violence, and they've been protesting uh, the conditions that they've been facing. For decades, since you were here, and it's fallen on deaf ears, what do we expect?
0: Right, right. Uh, Lester. you've written a lot about uh, this issue, uh, as you pointed out. Talk to me, though, about what the potential solutions are. Uh, I feel like that's that's the, the, the sort of missing piece here is uh, people are starting to recognize that there's a problem, I think. I think it's happening so frequently yeah. uh, that you can't ignore it. But the, the question becomes, okay, so what do you do? What do you do about the fact that you have so many places in this country where people do not have opportunity? Uh, and as you point out, our, every interaction they have with government is, is negative. What, where, where do we start
1: yeah, so uh, one of the things that, uh, so in Detroit, the the new Red Wing stadium you guys are be, uh, are building is basically being built through tax subsidies. A $400 million stadium and all of that, I believe, is paid for by Michigan taxpayers. Um, here in Baltimore, we have a similar circumstance. In fact, recently, the uh, Under Armour, Under Armour is a Baltimore uh, company right. that produces all types of sports gear. They've asked for uh, tax subsidies in building, I think, a new headquarters. One thing that Baltimore that Baltimore, and cities like Detroit can think about is peeling back those tax subsidies and actually ask, uh, and acting, asking corporate investors, whether they be Under Armour or even institutions like Johns Hopkins, where I work, which technically doesn't pay taxes, right. to actually pay taxes. To pay taxes and right. then to use that revenue to bridge the gap between the two Baltimores, or in you guys' case, the the two Detroits that are increasingly growing, right? The one midtime Detroit and then everything else. Right. That's something that that's one thing that we can do as it relates to the police. We can uh, ask that po- uh, police uh, that civilian re- review boards have teeth. We can there's a, currently in Maryland there is a 10 day gap. Right, like if uh, like Freddie Gray was uh, died April nineteenth, um, uh, counting from that day, the police officers involved don't have to give a statement until April twenty ninth. We can reduce that gap, right? Right, where as soon as something like this happens, the police have to give a statement, and this gives them, you know, this makes them more like res- uh, regular citizens. The police have an incredibly hard job. Don't get me wrong. But given the power and authority they have, we have to make sure that they're actually regulated by us instead of giving the ability to act willy and nilly as if they were a gang in blue.
0: Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. I'm talking with Johns Hopkins Professor Lester Spence about the protests in Baltimore over the killing of Freddie Gray, a 25 year old African American who suffered a severe spinal cord injury in the, in police custody last week. If you want to join the conversation, call us at 313 577 1019. That's 313 577 1019. Do you think there is a permanent underclass in this country uh, that deserves Attention and is crying out for attention. Do you think that what's happening in Baltimore could happen here in Detroit? Call us and join the conversation, Lester. Uh, what what what's on tap for today in in Baltimore? I heard that uh, that they are going to deploy the National Guard. Is that is that likely to to calm things down, or do you think that may make things worse?
1: Um, well, it depends on the tactics they use, right? Um, if 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 they if they take the tactics that the Baltimore City Police uh, use, then things could conceivably get worse, um, but, but I don't tactics... know. I know they are going to be non-violent uh, protests tomorrow, right. and I know that there have been people like my fraternity, a number of churches have been working on the ground since late last night trying to bring calm. So I imagine that they'll continue, and I'm just hoping that the, that the guard comes in and acts non-violently.
0: Right. Right, I'm going to go to the phones. Uh, Kim in Detroit, welcome to Detroit today. Uh,
2: thanks for taking my call. Just really briefly, I just want to really agree with what the guests uh, put forward there in terms of uh, corporations needing to step up and pay their fair share uh, in terms and supporting uh, uh, urban areas. That 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 this is a, a fair thing for them to do. It's not charity. It's the right thing for them to do if they're going to be. Uh, citizens uh, in these places, and that includes the Red Wings and anybody else, you know, the Illich family, uh, Olympia, uh, in terms of what they're going to do in terms of, uh, if anything, in terms of community benefits. But they should pay their fair share of taxes, and that should go to bolster uh, communities uh, that are in need, such as in Detroit.
0: Thank you for the call, Kim. Uh, you know, Lester, that's likely to be an issue in the upcoming presidential election. Uh, this income equality issue that we see candidates talking about does get to this uh, this question of who pays for what and and who benefits from it.
1: Uh, and that's exactly it, right? So we've so for the last um, going back at least to 1980, really, we've had this idea that the people who generate value are entrepreneurs, right? And because they dri- uh, generate value that trickles down, we should do everything we can to see that they're successful. And this usually leads to a reduction of um, you know, reduction of regulations uh, and this leads to tax subsidies, right? Uh, I actually have a very different perspective. I think that the people whether uh, I think that the people who generate value are the people who work in the city. Right, and we should be create we should be doing everything we can, where regular folk in Detroit and around Detroit and places like Dearborn even where they are able to live quality lives. And, I mean, I think the caller was exactly right. It's not about charity. It's about citizenship. Right. Right? It's about it's about responsibility. What's your obligation? Right.
0: This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm talking with Lester Spence, a professor of, of political science at Johns Hopkins University. We're talking about the protests in Baltimore over the death of Freddie Gray at the hands of Baltimore police. If you want to join the conversation, call us at 313-577-1019. That's 313. 313- Three five seven Let's go back to the phone Sandy in Midtown Welcome to Detroit Today
3: Thank you for having me uh, I wanted to talk about the way that we Train police departments around the country And a lot of us are aware of that And that's that's a national problem And having black leaders run a department That is like the others Is not going to make it enough of a difference I mean it's nice that the community Is policing itself in a sense But it's not enough we need to look at the way we we train cops.
0: Sure, sure. Thank you very much for that call, Sandy Lester. Uh, when I lived in Baltimore, I know that uh, the that they the police department was big on this idea of uh, broken windows, right? Uh, yeah. uh, zero tolerance, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, really responding to even the most minor of of, of crimes uh, as a way of preventing some of the more serious crimes from, from happening, uh, of course, uh, th- that looks really different when you're on the other end of that, if you live in one of these neighborhoods. Uh, is that still the way that that department is organized and, and that officers are trained?
1: Well, they don't have the exact same policy anymore, and they've started to use more like uh, like large-end data stuff. I'm, I'm sorry, for the, for the listeners, they've started to use kind of like statistical measures to kind of identify high crime points and to kind of, kind of contain crime there, so you don't have the kind of willy-nilly uh, approach to arrest that they had. But with that said, they are concentrating, right? So the, you think about the encounter with Freddie Gray. Uh-huh. The encounter with Freddie Gray begins when police are driving in the neighborhood Freddie Gray lives in. They, may, they get eye contact with Freddie Gray, and Freddie Gray runs. Right. That, that starts it, right? That, that starts it. Now, for some of my list of, of, of my Detroit folk, um, they would say, like, wow, why would he run? You know, but... From uh, my other Detroit folks, they know exactly why, why he, he ran. Would run sure, be- because in that neighborhood, the police represent like an occupying force.
0: But he, and even if even if uh, even if you agree that he was wrong to run, uh, there's a big leap from that to the idea that okay, well, it's okay then to. To break, kill this, to break his spine, right. I mean, the, uh, part of the problem here is about response and reaction uh, as much as it is uh, the, uh, people's behavior.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, the, yes, that's, 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 that's exactly right. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, going back to the police thing, right, um, I'm not one, although I have radical politics, right, I, I'm not one to say, you know what, we don't need police. We need police. We, we need, I, I'll never forget, I'm walking, I walk to the office really, really early, like 5.30 in the morning, I'm on the way to the office. And a police officer comes next to me. Um, and I'm now old enough where I don't have to worry about the police officer, like, harassing me. So the police officer says, listen, are you okay? There's been, there have been a couple of break-ins, right? And that information gave me what I needed to go back into my house, lock my doors and make sure my kids are safe, right? right? That, so I'm not the one to say we don't need policing, but what we need are police who use nonviolent means, who consider themselves part of the community they're designed to protect and serve, and don't look at large swaths of the population as if they were, as if they were animals. Right.
0: I'm going to go back to the phones. John in Macomb County, welcome to Detroit Today.
3: Uh, hello. Can you, can you hear me all right? I sure can. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I listen to this program in frustration so much of the time because um, whatever happens in, a, in an African-American community, at least as to what I'm listening to, has some element of racism on the part of non, uh, non-participating whites. For instance, um, just a few moments ago, somebody said that although the mayor and the police chief and all the officials are african-americans there is an element of white racism in 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 the situation in baltimore i'm frustrated by trying to figure out where that's even the police that were involved were african-americans in the city of detroit on your on this very station and your program uh... uh, the fact that restaurants are now booming in the core city and the lamentation was that there are not enough black people and it's something to do with too many white people. I I don't get it, and I'm frustrated by it. If we're ever going to get along, then we have to take accountability for who we are, where we're at, and what we're doing freely. The last point I want to make, and I will shut up after this, (laughs) is that that, uh, corporations just a moment ago Uh, Someone commented that corporations need to step up and do the right thing, quote-unquote. Well, if corporations are going to come into any neighborhood and set up shop and do business and employ people, they have to feel safe and they have to have confidence that the neighborhood is going to be able to support them and there won't be large-scale rioting, looting, and crime going on. And the people who live there are qualified to work and participate in those businesses that's my comment and okay. has nothing to do with race i don't care where you go your business you want to you want to make money and you want to be able to serve and sure. and interact with the population of that of that community sure. i'll shut up comment uh,
0: thank you very much for the call uh, john lester i i hear that a lot people push back and say listen uh, why are why are we talking about this as though it's in racial terms uh, on the surface, uh, just looking at this incident, you have, as I pointed out, an African-American mayor, an African-American police chief. You have African-American officers. Uh, why, why is that not uh, the, the sort of uh, counter to the idea that, that this, is the, this is about racism?
1: Oh uh, so what I've been careful to do and, I, and in fact you did this right so they begin well you at least asked the question. Uh-huh. This is not a race thing but th- this is a race and class thing. Right. Right? So if we're talking about um uh so if we're talking about corporate uh development in cities like Baltimore and Detroit that have large black populations there's a racial element in the degree to which um, the cities themselves have kind of been hollowed out by deindustrialization. De- it's not—it's uh, not a coincidence that the cities most hollowed out by deindustrialization are cities with large Black populations, right? right? So in Detroit, Detroit, um, in Detroit, and I hope um, the brothers still listening. The Detroit's population doesn't begin to fall after the 1967 rebellion or riots. Detroit's population starts to fall in
0: the 1960s. Yeah. Oh, the 1960s, yeah.
1: right? Between 1950 and 1960, there's a big population sure. drop, yeah. right? That's because whites were given—that's in part due to the fact that whites were given the ability to move out legally— while blacks had to stay. Right. right. That same dynamic you see present in Baltimore. Now again, because we're talking about in both Detroit and Baltimore's case, we're talking about black leadership. It's not solely about racism, but but to but to talk about uh, but to talk about this as if there was a just a, a class dynamic yeah. it's well, empirically I, wrong.
0: It's it's very difficult I think to 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 get people to sort of focus on uh, sort of historic structural racism and the effect that still has. I think that, that that's a conversation uh, that is very difficult to have these days because you do see so many instances and examples of African-Americans who have overcome that historical structural racism our president being being exhibit a of course uh but that i think there is a disconnect sometimes that that says well that means none of this other stuff uh still still exists i want to go back to the phones linda in gross point welcome to detroit today hello yes linda
4: hello yes hello are you there hello
0: yeah we're here
4: um, yes, my name is Linda. I am a white suburbanite in Gross Point. My question to our guest is, how can you explain to me or can you explain to me why it is the community in Baltimore is repeating Los Angeles, Detroit that you just mentioned. These are people out destroying their own neighborhood, and I don't see how that respects Mr. Gray or his family, who I support. I support the community, what they're trying to say, but what is this discru- what, is it, what is the destruction of their own community do for them?
0: Uh thank you very much for that question Linda Lester uh we we see on TV the images people uh going through uh, the CVS in their neighborhood or overturning cars in the streets uh, uh breaking shop windows why is that why is that the way uh, this frustration gets uh, expressed
1: um you know what i think the the metaphor climate change might work well here right so because uh Temperatures are increasing globally. That in, that 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 generates these really really intense moments, right? Like I know you guys had a really really bad winter in uh, last year, uh, or this past winter, the uh, two winters ago, the worst winter I I ever had. And I was here in Baltimore. <laughs> right. I, I can't imagine what it was like back home in Detroit. Um, nobody would say like, oh my god, like oh my god, I kind of hate winter, right? I mean, I mean. What we're, if we think about a riot or what happened yesterday as kind of a, a, a force of nature, it just like we can understand that, that severe weather changes are going to come as a result of increased temperature, we can kind of understand that every, that if you've got a circumstance in which the police act as an occupying force in which... Uh, in which citizens have tried to uh, be nonviolent, have tried to organize nonviolently. They've tried to organize to make the city council pass, uh, the city council and the mayor support legislation uh, requiring police to wear cameras. They've uh, been working in the Maryland State uh, Assembly trying to get them to change the law. They've used every single means, right? At what point do we say, like, wow, they're not going to continue to act this way, right? They're not going to – they're not – if the police don't act nonviolently, then at some point in time, we're going to have the equivalent of a really, really bad winner. I mean, and, and we can say that while at the same time not wanting that, right? Right. It's not like I want this to happen. It's not like I think this is the best way to happen. You know, I'm a political scientist. I think there are a number of other ways that people can make political change. But as a political scientist, I also know that if you don't have uh, a police department Uh, that's responsive. If you don't have a government, a local, a state, or a federal government, that's responsive. This is what's going to happen.
0: Right. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. My guest has been Lester Spence, a professor of political science at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, where protests over Freddie Gray's uh, death have uh, shaken the the city and the nation. Lester, thank you very much for being here.
1: I'm very, very thankful that you guys are around.
0: <laughs> I will have you back soon. <laughs> yeah, I'm so with that. All right. Uh we'll be right back with more on the Baltimore protests. Stay with us. <laughs> You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and we are talking about the protests in Baltimore over the death of 25 year old Freddie Gray, an African American who was arrested by police and then was uh, later killed uh, with a severe spinal cord injury. Joining me now is Kenneth Burns, a reporter for WYPR, which is the Baltimore public radio station. Kenneth, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, give me an idea of wh- where we are right now in, in Baltimore. Uh, as I said in the open, I used to live there. Uh, it is it is very hard for me even to be watching uh, the, the the images of of what's going on in places that that are very familiar to me. Uh, is the city quiet this morning, or uh, or is this still going on?
5: Well, I want to answer the question this way, just to give a little perspective. I actually live close to where the Uh, center of the violence that took place yesterday. I, uh, I frequent Madamin Mall to, uh, there's a target there. I'd normally pick up, uh, some stuff there. Uh, I drive by the CVS that was, uh, looted and Mm burned, uh, each time I go to the station. So, uh, just to give you an idea, it's, it's a little quiet. Residents are starting to clean up, uh, from, uh, the looting from last night. And, uh, everyone is, I mean, you talk about being on edge, I'm pretty sure I could say this with full authority that everyone's on edge right now.
0: Yeah, uh, and are they on edge because they feel like uh, this is likely to flare up again today in the same places, uh, or is there something else uh, sort of in the offing? I
5: I think it's just everyone's nerves being jangled. Uh, we, no one knows what will happen next. Uh, it was I was with the protest Saturday night, and that's when things started to turn violent. Things did very much started peacefully as uh, as the protesters marched from uh, the Sandtown-Winchester neighborhood where Freddie Gray was arrested down to City Hall. And then later in the evening, I want to say about an hour before the start of the Orioles baseball game, that's when things turned violent. But right now, it's everyone's on edge, and then, uh, of course, uh, residents are shocked, the ones that... Really wanted to see peaceful demonstrations, and the ones who uh, who really wanted to see justice—they're they're shocked at how, particularly how uh, violent things turned Saturday night. And keep in mind too, and you as a uh, former Baltimorean, you know this as well. Baltimore has a long storied history of peaceful demonstration, sure. even when uh, the most the last uh, person who died in police custody, Tyrone West. Those protests were. Uh, peaceful organizers made sure that participants did not go out of line and harass anybody, and even after Ferguson, when you had many of the same protesters and larger protesters, there were several groups right after the uh, grand jury announced they would not indict the officer involved, it was very peaceful.
0: Um, what what is uh, Mayor uh, Rawlings Blake saying right now about about things? I mean, this is this has got to be uh, the most desperate hour uh, of her administration. Uh, is she talking about any of the sort of policy implications of this and and perhaps policy changes?
5: She is not talking about policy changes. She is talking specific. Well, for the last uh, twelve hours, she was defending her comments from Saturday which was very much a, a slip of the tongue sh- where she's being characterized as saying uh, she gave people room to destroy. But what she meant to say, and the administration tried to clear this up yesterday, was that she, while they were giving protesters room to protest and express their frustration, they also gave room to those who wished to destroy uh, that opportunity. So she's, So she's been spending the last several hours defending that, She's been defending why she did not come out in front and ask for calm right away. It was well into the evening before she had a press con—I'm sorry, a news conference—asking first of all implementing the curfew that starts tonight at 10 p.m. as well as why she was not why she uh, was not out in front. The last time she was in public yesterday, uh, before the news conference, was during the uh, funeral for Freddie Gray. Okay,
0: and and the National Guard is headed to Baltimore. Is that right?
5: That's right. Uh, Governor Larry Hogan signed the executive order. He said, and I quote: He signed it 30 seconds after it was requested by the mayor. Okay,
0: and and what is the what what are the next uh, what are the next big sort of markers in this? Do uh, you think for Baltimore? Uh, what 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 are you we likely to see over the next days or, or weeks?
5: Uh, well, immediately uh, of concern is whether it will be a peaceful night in Baltimore. Right, uh, and I believe your last guest mentioned the uh, so-called ten-day rule from the law enforcement officers' bill of rights. Uh, they, according to uh, all reports, the earliest that we might hear something new in the actual incident uh, involving Freddie Gray's death could come as early as Friday. Okay.
0: Uh Kenneth, uh thank you very much for being here. Uh we're going to let you go. I I understand you're headed back over to Mundham and Mall. Uh,
5: yes, I'm uh, I'm heading to Mundham and Mall. And I'm going to check out some other places around uh, West Baltimore to see uh, what's going on. I did see uh on uh, local and national television people uh cleaning up that CVS that was uh burnt out. And and by the way, there were some 20 fires citywide. It wasn't just West Baltimore. Uh, the most, the one that grabbed uh, the media's attention here was one on the east side of the city. It was a uh, it was a structure under construction that was fully engulfed.
0: Okay, Kenneth Burns, reporter with WYPR in Baltimore. Thank you for being here on Detroit today.
5: Thank you for having me.
0: This is Detroit Today on 1019 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. I want to welcome uh, Reverend David Alexander Bullock to Detroit Today uh, to talk more about what's going on in Baltimore and here in Detroit. Uh, Bullock is a pastor, college instructor, Lecturer, musician, and social commentator here in Detroit, welcome to Detroit today.
6: Thank you, Stephen. Good to be here
0: yes uh, I, I first want to go uh, to the phones, but but uh, but I, but I, but I want to uh, get you in on this conversation to talk about how this uh, goes to Detroit, but Munn in Pontiac, welcome to Detroit today.
7: yes, hello i I, I don't want to waste my 20 seconds on the Linda <laughs> caller, but I did have an answer, but I just wanted to quickly say that it The more they talk about the race, it has nothing to do with race. There's an overall problem with accountability for the police. I've been pulled over several times. I'm half white. My mom is French. My father is Indian. And I get pulled over so many times over issues like saying I've kidnapped my kid because they look white, blonde hair and different things. And when after it's all said and done and I try to complain on how I was treated, there's not ever even uh, a recording of a location of where they've been. So I can be held for two and a half hours, and if they let me go, they hide it. They bury it. You can't complain to anyone. I've been pulled over in Brownstown, Michigan. I've been pulled over in Memphis. I've been pulled over in Canada. It's a problem in Canada as well. You can't even go back and complain. So this artificially makes the statistics look so clean that we have a good sense. We're good detectives. Every time we pull someone over, there's a problem. It's because for however many people you've pulled over and released them, and it got buried this is what has to be looked into as soon as you they want you to make it about race because as soon as all the educated people make a clean good discussion about race that's what they want because then they can fire up the right side and get those buttons pushed if you just specifically focus on the corruption and the no accountability of the power of the police you can win your argument
0: Thank you very much for the call, Mon. Reverend Bullock, that sets the stage, I think, for the discussion here in Detroit. Uh, What we're looking at is happening in Baltimore. You work here uh, in Detroit on some of these very, very same issues.
6: That's right. You know, um, know, all due respect to the caller, I do think that there uh, is merit in saying that accountability for law enforcement is a concern. Uh, Indeed, in the Detroit City Charter, uh, a provision was put in there for uh, at least some of the police commissioners to be democratically elected yes. in an attempt to try to give citizen oversight to the police department uh, in the wake of bankruptcy. That has not been fully enfranchised. Right. Um, which raises questions about the city of Detroit's police department relative to citizen oversight and accountability. Right. Um, you know, but but that is a live question. But But we cannot discount the role of race and class. Uh, race is a factor. Baltimore is much like Detroit, you know, about 650,000, 700,000 people. Detroit's about the same number, mostly African-American, uh, affluent midtown and downtown in Baltimore, uh, outlying neighborhoods, uh, low to middle income, high poverty in those areas. And, and so Detroit has a similar profile. And 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 then the history of policing police brutality uh, the legacy of slavery, the legacy of lynching, the legacy of African American men being considered thugs, gangsters, etc. So Darren Wilson says, "I saw Mike Brown, and he looked like a super demon." Sure. Um, you know, I mean, all of that a has of mythologizing has, uh, of the
0: black uh, criminal or thug. <laughs> right. Right. Sure.
6: You know, this gangster. You know, every every African American male with a hoodie, or uh, you know, in a certain uh, location is a gangster and so should be treated a certain kind of way. I think where race comes in uh, is not kind of an overt racism by police officers, but it, it's a how does the perception or the climate or culture uh, or the image of the person who is being arrested or investigated factor into uh, how a police officer treats them, you know. When I watched the video of Freddie Gray, uh-huh. I mean, he's obviously screaming. I mean, he's, I mean, at the top of his voice. Yeah. So whatever he's done, I mean, if he was in a chase, if he hit a cop, through a can, kicked a stone, you know, uh, some sl- racial slur or uh, obscenity. The fact of the matter is on the video, he is screaming at the top of his lungs and they just scoop him up. Right. Right. No gurney, no EMS, no emergency responders. And so one wonders, um, you know, what what happened and 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 why uh, did those police officers not feel like he was worth a certain kind of first response? Sure. Right. Sure. And so and so that's why people are mad. Yeah. Um, they're mad because when you when you see that, that conjures. All kinds of images about poor and black communities not being worthy of first response whether it's Hurricane Katrina coming in and you see the people standing uh, the uh, in the water and on mm-hmm. roofs waving their hands you know and the government is not responding immediately you know uh, you know it conjures that that continued image of poor uh, and African Americans being lost uh, late or left out and so you get this angst and so we don't we don't support we don't support rioting. Buildings are not the problem. But when those who are supposed to uphold the law uh, suspend the law, then those who are under the law suspend the law. All right. Right. This is Detroit Today
0: on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about protests in Baltimore and police relations here in Detroit. Stay with us. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm talking with Reverend David Bullock about the protests in Baltimore over the, over the death of Freddie Gray and the general uh, police-citizen relations here in Detroit. If you want to join the conversation, call us at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. I want to go to the phones again. Sarita in Detroit, welcome to Detroit Today.
4: Good morning. Good morning. Yes. All right. This is Sarita. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate the conversation. I wanted to comment on a a previous caller who posed the question as to why people could destroy their communities. And I, you know, agreeing with what Professor Spence said, there is this energy and frenzy of emotion. But I don't understand why people are able to accept this in the face of, you know, mindless celebration, but recognizing years of injustice, you know, inequality that is so blatant today and the lack of access that people have, that people don't understand how that emotion, how that anger and frustration works itself up into what we're seeing happening in Baltimore. And again, as your, your current guest said, it is not as if anyone condones the actions, but we need to get away from referring to it as, you know, thug behavior. It's a total myth. Mis-
0: characterization. Right. Thank you very much for the call, Sarita. Uh Reverend Bullock, how how likely do you do you think something that's like what's happening in Baltimore could happen here in Detroit?
6: You know, I think it's I think it's very likely in the context of uh post Trayvon Martin, post Mike Brown and Ferguson, um post Eric Gardner. I mean,
0: we're seeing this you know, happen a lot. This, this,
6: we're we're trending, you know. I hate to use a social media term, uh, to describe uh, what we're seeing, but we are trending. I mean, even last night there were spontaneous uh, marches in Brooklyn across the Brooklyn Bridge. Some police officers were injured in Brooklyn. A spontaneous uh, protest march in Oakland, um, California. I mean, so so we're seeing people um, becoming fed up with what they believe are unjustified responses by law enforcement. Also, we're seeing a kind of glamorization of uh, uh, victims of police brutality in the media as well, which which has positive benefits, but, but also creates a, a potential national hysteria uh, so that whenever law enforcement responds in a certain kind of way, you know, there is no time for judgment. There is no time for thinking through an investigation. It's, a, it's immediate charge and response by the public. And so, you know, I wonder how media, you know, strikes a balance between reporting and you know, generating hysteria. Sure, so, sure. But of course, you know, it, it could happen in Detroit. Detroit has a lot of the same features of a Ferguson uh, or a Baltimore in in terms of high African American population, uh, high high poverty outside and of high Midtown concentrated and downtown. Poverty, yeah, yeah and, 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 and
0: intergenerational poverty. Yeah, that uh,
6: right, right, and and intergenerational trauma in terms of dealing with law enforcement. And, and I think that's something that maybe people who are reading the Baltimore narrative may not be able to read. I mean, you're talking about um, people who have years of trauma as it relates to law enforcement who have lived in almost a militarized zone. And, and, and I wouldn't call it the underclass, you know, I know it's 50 years since the Moynihan report right. and you know that, but that, that word doesn't really speak to what I think is a post hip hop, urban african-american generation uh that grew up on music that had lyrics like f the police and at the same time has a lived experience where every time they saw a police officer their uncle was being arrested their their cousin was being arrested their their brother was being arrested they were being arrested and so they have no positive relationship with with law enforcement or or authority in general and so I, i i think we're dealing with um law enforcement relating to a, a new uh, generation and a particular class of people. And, and so I think this has to be sorted out. This is not going to be fixed uh, right, by peace overnight. in 10 days sure. or a protest. Could it happen in Detroit?
0: Of course it could. Sure, uh, Aaron on the west side, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, uh, first of all, I want to make sure nobody uh, uh, misinterprets that I'm uh, inciting or uh advocating violence but when you think of and and I understand the some of the suburbanites and some of the people who are not African American calling in with frustration about how things are always seem to be one sided but when you have lived under uh the type of you know uh subliminal almost oppression that, that blacks have come up with uh, dealing with law enforcement. I, I know, too, that it's really not about It's initiated by race, but it's really about uh, uh, the lack of the government and all the policies in our country, all the traditions in our country being uh, overtly uh, uh, racist towards uh, uh, blacks. And because because of that and because the police are an extension of the government, uh, we are treated a certain way. And the frustration over years and years and decades and decades of not being respected, not being, uh, protected, uh, the frustration comes out, uh, the only way it can in violence. That is not a solution, but it draws attention to the problem. I believe that just like this country was forged in violence with the uh, Revolutionary War, because the people here felt like they weren't being represented and weren't being respected. The same thing is occurring with, within our, our our society, and we need to look at it for what it is. The people are tired. How many days do I have to wake up and see right. that another black man has been murdered by the police because they have the authority and because they have the uh, uh, the safety. Uh, of the law and everything the, all the power that comes with that uh, to to protect them, the police should be afraid to mistreat a black person yeah. because of the consequences from the attorney general and because, because of the justice department Thank you. not because of yeah. people rioting in the street. they should be afraid because of what's going to be coming from the authoritative uh, uh, power in this country. But they're not because okay. they're being protected by the same power that's supposed to protect the people. And it has to change. Yeah. And Thank if it you. doesn't Thank change,
0: you for the, the call, violence, Aaron. It's going to get worse. Okay. Thank you very much for that call. We've got about 30 seconds left, uh, Reverend Bullock. Uh, what's next here in, in, in Detroit, do you think?
6: Well, I, Well, I think we call for peace in Detroit and around the country. But uh, also, we have to call this what it is. I mean, this is not a strategic rebellion. This is not the next American revolution. People don't have demands. They're not saying let's police our own neighborhoods." send right. f- send federal tax dollars to neighborhood associations so they can hire private security. We don't want cops anymore. Right. I mean, this is uh, a emotional release of frustration. We'll get past it and we'll continue to try to figure out uh, how we stop it from happening again.
0: OK, Reverend David Bullock, thank you for being here. Thank you. I want to thank my other guests and thank the listeners. This has been Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, Wayne State's public radio station. I'll see you tomorrow.